Well, in the last few chapters, Matthew 7 and 8 and 9, Jesus has been pushing out the boundaries of what human beings are supposed to be able to do. Have you noticed that? And Jesus has been doing some things that no human being really ever does, right? You see some pockets in the Old Testament of prophets and You see some areas of miracles in the life of God's people, even in the church today. You see miraculous things. But Jesus has been walking the earth, and he's been pushing the limits of humanity and showing the world that there's something about him that's very, very special. He has this this authority that no one else has. The end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, it says that the crowds were amazed because he spoke with such authority. Unlike the teachers of the law, the scribes, the religious people, there was something different about Jesus, even in the way that he spoke the law of God. He comes down from the mountain and he sees a leprous man and he touches him and cleans him. He hears from a centurion whose servant lies at home sick, paralyzed, suffering, and with a word he heals him. He goes into Peter's mother-in-law's house and he finds her sick in bed and he regains her to health and she serves him and the whole town starts coming out and he heals diseases. He casts out demons and he starts gaining momentum as a person who is unlike anyone else that anyone had ever met. He steps into a boat and goes over to the land of the Gadarenes and he falls asleep and a storm comes. The disciples come down to the boat and they wake him up and say, Lord, did you care that we're drowning? And he gets up and he says, oh, you of little faith. And he rebukes the wind and he commands the seas and it becomes calm. And the disciples say, who is this? That even the wind and the seas hear his voice and obey him. And Jesus has been pushing the boundaries of what a human being can do. I wonder what it would be like to walk with him. If it would be inspiring or if it would be (laughs) awful or something, right? Like you're, whoa, this man is so separate. Or is it, whoa, this man, he's living a life that I want to live. Right? Sometimes we see these things in the scriptures and we say, God, I want to do these things. Maybe I'm not going to calm the seas or stop the storm, but God, I pray that you would put me in the path of people who need healing, and I might pray, and you might work. Your same spirit might work through me. God, I pray that if I come in contact with someone who is seen as an outcast, that with a touch, I can restore them to community. God, you as me. God, your spirit was in Jesus. He did the work by your spirit, God. Let your spirit do amazing things in me. And we see Jesus, and we might be inspired because we want to be more fully human like he was. He was doing things that he said, you might do even greater things than me. That seems kind of scary. And so on one hand, it's inspiring to watch Jesus because the spirit in him is doing things that he calls us to go out and do, to pray for folks, to do spiritual work in people's lives. And yet here in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus takes it a step too far. He moves from the realm where he is doing things that no human being should be able to do without the power of God. And now in Matthew chapter 9, in the passage we just read, Jesus starts doing things that no human being is allowed to do. That's a line that he crossed. 
He was doing things that no human being should have the power to do, casting out demons, healing, doing miracles, and yet God gave him the power to do it. And then he crosses the line, and now in Matthew 9, he does something that no human being is ever allowed to do. A man comes to him who is paralyzed, and there's a great crowd, right? You've heard the story maybe that they separate out the roof, and they drop this paralyzed man down on a mat in front of Jesus, and there's dust everywhere, and Jesus looks down at this man, and everyone's looking on. What's he going to do? Is he going to heal him? Is the man going to get up and pick up his mat and walk out? And Jesus looks at this paralyzed man, and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Healing the paralyzed man would be a miraculous act that no human being really should be able to do. And yet declaring this man sin forgiven is a blasphemous act if no, because no human being is allowed to do that. You can't forgive sins. No one forgives sins but God alone. It doesn't matter how big of a spiritual giant you are. You can't declare someone's sin forgiven. The religious leaders start whispering, like, that was blasphemy. Did you hear that? This man just forgave the sins of this paralyzed man. And you'd expect Jesus to go, whoa, hold on, hold on. You misunderstand. I wasn't declaring him freed from his sin. I wasn't declaring him forgiven of his sin. I was just noticing that the type of faith that this man and these men had was the type of faith that heals someone. Don't spread rumors about me. You would expect him to say that. But that's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus leans into it. He says, you hear, you hear that I'm speaking things that no human being should be able to say? Well, let me tell you this. Well, let me ask you this. What would be easier? To make a statement, your sins are forgiven? Or to look at a man and say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? And he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I tell you, pick up your mat, get up, and go home. Right? And so the man gets up and he walks out in full view of them all. He leans into it. We hear this passage, we read this passage, and we love to side with the crowd the crowd that's murmuring and talking and saying, well, did, you, did you see what that guy did? What kind of man is this? Right? Listen how they end this passage. It says, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They praised God who had given such authority to man. Can you believe it? God gave the authority to a human to forgive sins. But God doesn't give authority to humans to forgive sins. Really, if we wanted to understand this passage rightly, we would probably want to side more with the religious leaders that were calling what Jesus did blasphemous. Because God has not given people authority to forgive sins. And if you were there in that day and you saw a man who was doing miraculous things, you'd probably be thinking, God is doing something great through this man. But then if that man said, your sins are forgiven, you would probably whisper too. If you knew the Bible, you'd say, that's not okay. You can't say that. No human being can say that. And they didn't really understand who Jesus was, but with the understanding that the people had at that time, their perspective was right. No one can forgive sins, but God alone. Now, there are some people in the Old Testament who do miraculous things. Think of Elijah, right? He would raise people from the dead sometimes, call down fire from heaven. 
Moses had that staff to turn into a snake, and he parted the Red Sea, and he caused plagues to come. And God worked through him in miraculous ways. There was the burning bush and all that. Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, God enabled them to have children at a ripe old age of like 80 to 100 years old, right? Miraculous things were happening through pockets of people in human history. And you read the Old Testament scriptures and you see that God can give power to measly human beings to do amazing works of miracles. And when Jesus walked the earth, the people no doubt thought that this was a time where God's kingdom was coming again. It was resurging like it did in the prophets, like it did in the patriarchs, like it did in the times of the Old Testament where great things happened and Jesus must have been one of those men like Elijah, like Moses, an amazing man that God was empowering to do great things for his kingdom. But Moses and Elijah and Abraham and Sarah weren't allowed to forgive people's sins. They were human. Humans can't do that. And the only person probably in that ancient time who would forgive people's sins would be a priest. If you sinned and you went to the temple and you brought an animal with you and and you went up to the priest and you said, here's the atonement for my sin, and the priest kills the animal, lays his hands on the head of the animal and slits its throat or whatever it is and burns the animal as a sacrifice, the priest might be able to say to you, son, your sins are forgiven, but not in a dogmatic way. Because the priest doesn't know. The priest has no power to give you forgiveness of sins. The priest can just say, listen, I don't know your heart. I don't know if this is the best bull you got or if you brought me like a secondhand one. I don't know if you follow the law completely or deep inside you, but I know that as far as the law that Moses required, you have done all you needed to do to have your sins forgiven. And so in as so much as it depends on my assertion, your sins are forgiven. But a priest can't declare someone righteous. A priest can't look at you and say, son, your sins are forgiven. I guarantee it, right? The crowd hears Jesus saying that. Like, wow, he's given the authority to man to forgive sins. But the religious people know that there's something, something going on here that's a big deal. (laughs) If this fellow is truly a man, he is blaspheming because no one forgives sins but God alone. And even though their perspective on humans forgiving sin is correct, Jesus looks at the attitude of their hearts and he calls it evil. Maybe what they believe is textbook true, but it's not true about Jesus for some reason. And in this moment, a tension emerges that ends up getting Jesus killed. And the tension is this, is that Jesus is doing amazing things, amazing things, right? You hear it said in the Gospels multiple times that Jesus must be a prophet from God because no one can do the miraculous things that Christ is doing unless God is with him. He he has to be from God. And yet, Jesus keeps saying crazy things like, before Abraham was born, I am. I'm the God of the Old Testament. And, son, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus is in this tension where, okay, he's from God, but he speaks blasphemy all the time. Right? It's that C.S. Lewis thing, right? Is Jesus liar, lunatic, or Lord? What is he? Because a human being can't do these miraculous things unless God has empowered them to do so. And yet a human being that God has empowered would never assume that he had the authority to forgive sin. No good human being does that. This tension emerges. 
It's the tension that we would probably see if a man came into this room tonight and did the things that Jesus did and said the things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. And imagine somebody came in and there was someone sitting in a wheelchair and it just goes, hey, how you doing? Shakes their hand and they get up and they walk away, right? And someone's doing sign language over in the corner and he goes and touches their ears or whatever the ways Jesus does it, sticks his finger in his ears or whatever and the person regains their hearing. And the person comes up on the stage and says, hey, can I say something? Like, uh, you're the one who's healing everyone, sure, right? And I'm thinking like, who is this person? And the person looks back at the back row and sees someone there who's unable to move in a wheelchair, quadriplegic kind of deal. And he says, listen, I want to tell you, I see that you came to church tonight. You were forgiven of all your sins. Right? All of these like alarms would start going off in my heart. Because I think, okay, this guy is doing something amazing, miraculous, wonderful. There's no doubt that God is working through this person, right? I know that person he healed. He's not faking it. He was healed. And yet now he's coming up and declaring someone righteous that he doesn't even know. You can't get righteous just by showing up at church. you got to pray a prayer, right? you got to believe in Jesus. you got to put your faith in him. This man is declaring someone righteous. No one does that. And so I have to sit down. I have to talk to our pastors and say, here's what's going on. There's someone who keeps healing everyone, but he also claims to be God. What do we do with that? And we'd have a conversation. And most likely what we would do is we'd say, okay, well, this man... He's healing people. That's good, right? And the Bible says that God gives people power to heal sometimes, so maybe that's real, but he's claiming to be God? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus claimed to be God, and we believe in him, but he didn't say he was going to come back in 2015 and start healing people at 613, right? And, and we have to wrestle with that. Is this guy really Christ come back to us? It doesn't seem to match up with what the scriptures say, and we'd wrestle, and we'd wrestle, and Eventually, we'd probably come to the point where we would say, you know what, this guy, he's got to be faking it, right? He's not Jesus. He's Carl or whatever, right? (laughs) He's got power, no doubt, but his power must have come from somewhere other than God himself because he is not the one we worship. He's Carl. And that's kind of where the religious leaders land with Jesus. They say, by the end of Jesus' ministry, that the reason he's able to cast out demons is because he's working for Satan. By the power of Beelzebub, he casts out demons. They see that he's doing great things, but they hear that he's claiming to be God. So he must be a phony. That's a big thing to wrestle through. You know, sometimes you hear people say that Jesus never claimed to be God and no one thought he was God and the church like designated some new doctrine like 800 years later and they just made up the fact that Jesus is God. I don't know. As I read in the Bible, Jesus claimed to be God all the time. That's why they killed him. Right? Many times they said they didn't like this because he was claiming to be God, right? And so beyond the things that Jesus said, like before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus would say things that people would say, you're claiming to be God right now, and he didn't correct them. Thomas worships Jesus. He doesn't say, stop, 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 stop. And Jesus thought he was God. The people thought he thought he was God, and yet they killed him because they decided he wasn't God. That's why when he takes the disciples up on the hill, he says, 
Okay, who do people say that I am? And they give him a bunch of answers. He says, okay, who do you say that I am? And do you think that I'm phony? You think I'm just some prophet like the Old Testament? Do you think I'm just someone who's good and then there's another guy coming after me? And Peter says, no, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You are who you say you are. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You did not receive that information from man. You received that from God himself. And I will build my church on that rock. That's a big thing to wrestle through. Who is Jesus? That's why I love that C.S. Lewis. He had to be liar, lunatic, or Lord. Because it's really hard for me to say that Jesus did amazing things. He healed people. He brought justice into the world. He cast out demons. He made the world right again. He taught amazing teachings that lined up with the scriptures. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He declared things that were true. And people would hear him and say, yes, that's what that means. Yes, right? But, but I mean, he had one little issue. He thought he was God in the flesh. <laughs> and there are no normal people who think they're God in the flesh. If you've got a coworker who thinks they're God, they're crazy, right? Have you ever met a person who's totally sane and does great things, just a compassionate, amazing thing, and says, hey, by the way, just so you know, like, as we're serving at the soup kitchen together, I am, I'm the incarnate version of Jesus, of God, right? C.S. Lewis says Jesus is either plain lying about the fact he's God, or he's a lunatic, or he is who he says he is. That's the question for us. Is he who he says he is? The crowd walks away saying, wow, God has given authority to man to forgive sins. And that's kind of true. God has given authority to Jesus to forgive sins. But Jesus is no ordinary man. And you see this in the way that he addresses this man, right? You can say, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk, but I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And and you might say, well, hold on. Just because you do miracles doesn't mean you have authority to forgive sins, right? Elijah did miracles. He didn't have authority to forgive sins. Moses enacted miracles. He didn't have authority to forgive sins. But look how Jesus says it. He says, I want you to know this. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Is that interesting? Authority on earth to forgive sins? Was he trying to clear up some misconception that he had authority like in space to forgive sins? Or like, like, hey, just so you know, if you think that I have authority like on the high seas to forgive sins, I don't. But I have authority on, on land, right? That's not what he's saying. Jesus Christ has always had the authority to forgive sins. It says the moment he created the earth and the first human beings and they rebelled against God and they came to the Lord for forgiveness, Jesus Christ forgave their sins from heaven. When the people rebelled in the Old Testament, they walked away from the Lord and Moses prayed for them and said, Lord, please don't destroy them, but let them come back to you. Jesus on his throne forgave the sins of the people. When the temple system existed and the goats and the bulls would come in and their throats were slid and it symbolized that their sins were forgiven, Jesus in heaven was forgiving their sins. And then he put on flesh, he walked among us, and he said, just so you know, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. I've already got it in heaven. 
When Jesus came to earth, he, he laid aside a lot of his divine attributes, right? He was no longer omnipresent. You make an argument that maybe he was no longer all-knowing. Like, he seems to discern the hearts of these men here, but I mean, he didn't necessarily know everything. We don't know that for sure. He laid aside some of the attributes of God, but Jesus is saying in Matthew 9, one thing that I did not lay aside to walk on this earth is the authority that I have had of from all time to forgive the sins of people who turn to me. He's the man, the God-man that has always had and continues to have in this passage the authority in heaven and on earth to forgive sins. And so he looks at this man who has been dropped through the roof by his buddies. And it's so interesting. Jesus sees the faith of these guys. And not just the faith of the man. He says he sees their faith. It's people just struggling and striving to get to Jesus because Jesus is the only one that has the power to heal what ailed these folks. And Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and he says, let me tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the most amazing miracle you have ever experienced. Your sins are forgiven. And in that we get a glimpse of what it looks like to go before the throne of God above. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we see when Jesus walks the earth, he's the same way. When people come before him, he is quick to forgive the sins of the people. And in this moment, he gets in a little bit of trouble. He begins a tension that it will eventually get him killed, which was part of his divine plan. And because the religious leaders say, okay, he does great things, but he claims to be God, what do you do with that? Jesus says it's the blindness, the wickedness of this generation that makes it so they can't see what was really happening, that there's another option behind besides he does great things, but he's from Satan, right? It's possible that Jesus is who he claims that he is. That the reason that he does great things and can say that he's God is because he is God and a human being all wrapped up into one. And he has the authority of God, but he has the flesh of a human. And he suffers and he struggles like a human, but he commands the elements and nature and people and sickness and demons like God. And the spirit of God dwells in him like he's a human, but, but he's God. We should probably all know that, right? And yet it's so hard because these people in this story, they marvel and they're amazed. And the religious leaders are like, if Jesus claims to be God, this is a big deal, a big, big deal. And yet so often for us, we just think, oh yeah, Jesus, he's God. He's God and he's man. I worship him. If you really knew, if we all really knew the, the messiness, the dirtiness, the depravity, the separation from God that sin embodies, we would be desperate to find someone who had the authority to forgive it. Like if you committed a crime, like a terrible crime, and you found out that you were going to go to jail for the rest of your life, you might get the death penalty, and then you heard about a man who had the authority to just grant pardon to anyone who comes to him, you would get on a plane, you would find that man, you'd spend all your money to go to him and plead that he would forgive your debt. But we hear that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. We're like, yeah, I know that. I already prayed to receive him into my heart. I'm good. And on one hand, that's beautiful. Jesus forgives our sins and 
He removes them as far as the east is from the west. He casts them to the sea. He remembers them no more and we're clean. But I feel like a lot of times we don't understand the gravity of that. And we don't run to him like someone who has divine authority that no one else has that we need. We don't worship him like folks who have been truly forgiven of an immense, immense death. We don't marvel. We don't stand in awe. We don't say, what kind of man is this? Or what kind of God is this? Or what kind of person was Jesus? Or what kind of God would forgive us, right? We say, what kind of God would send us to hell anyway? And if we really understood the gravity of our sin, then we would understand the gravity of our Savior. And so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the people marvel that God has given such authority to man. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Acts as he's going and sharing the gospel with people who've never heard about Jesus. Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens, and he walks around the public square, and he sees that they have all these false gods, these statues to false gods that are erected, and he sees one that says, statue to an unknown God, and Paul's heart is broken, and yet he thinks, I'm going to preach on this God, and he comes up, and he says, gentlemen, gentlemen, I see that you are very religious, because I was walking around the marketplace, I saw you had all these statues, and there was even a God that was unknown, how great news, let me tell you about the God you don't know. He's the God that created the heavens and the earth, and he appointed the time and the place where we will all live, and though we've all wandered from him, he is calling us to repent and turn to him, and he will judge the world by the man he has appointed, and he has given a proof to all men that he has done this by raising him from the dead. And some people laughed like those religious leaders. What is he talking about? And other people said, I want to hear more about this. And that's been the story of Christianity for the last 2,000 years. Men and women going into town, pre- towns preaching the gospel. And some people saying, this is ridiculous. Other people saying, that's true. I need that. And the kingdom starts growing like a mustard seed, like a, like a, like a wheat field that's spreading all over the earth, like this yeast that's going through this whole batch, and it gets to us, and it comes back again and again and again. Here's who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. He suffered and died for the sins of mankind. God raised him from the dead. He exalted him to the highest place, and someday every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And some of you think, that's nice. <laughs> and some of you, and some of you think, I need that. Tonight, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, my prayer for you is that he would break down and soften your heart to realize you need that. As you have sin, you need a savior. You are broken. You need fixing. You are incomplete. You need wholeness. You are damned. You need redemption, that you are far from him. He wants to make you near. You're an orphan. He wants to adopt you into his family. But until you... Feel it and see it and understand it. You might just nod along. Tonight, if you realize you need Jesus, go to him. Turn to him. Confess your sin to him. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to come into your life and transform you forever. And he will. And tonight, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have sin in your life, confess it to him. 
Yeah, you are forgiven of your sin. His blood forgives you of all your sins. And yet when you sin, Christian, he is faithful and just. When you confess your sin to forgive you of your sins and free you from all unrighteousness, let him free you from your bondage. Let him walk you out of your shame. Let him bring you into a path of righteousness tonight. Tonight, like every night, we receive communion at the end of this time. And it's a time for all of us who know Christ to remember his sacrifice and proclaim it from the rooftops. That if it was up to us, we would be hellbound forever. And yet he saw fit to suffer and die instead and says, you need me for life. And so come forward tonight if you're a believer and eat this bread and dip it in this juice and drink this cup in that way. And remember that it's him in you that redeems you. It's not you that redeems you. Remember that his death, his given body, his shed blood is what saves you. It's not your works. It's not your prayers. It's not your acts of righteousness that save you. It's him. We need to remember that every week because we forget it every day. And so come forward and remember and proclaim that this, these elements, this Jesus they represent, this is the secret to life. Consume Jesus in a sense, like he said in John 6. And you will find life in him. Let's close in prayer and then let's receive communion together.